press the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front. From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Monday, November 28. The biggest industrial relations shake-up in a generation, with the Albanese government crashing through in its bid to change workplaces across the nation. Independent Senator David Pocock has agreed to vote with the government to get the laws through the upper house. Business groups are not happy. But Senator Pocock won a significant concession from the government, a review of welfare support payments before every budget to ensure they're adequately looking after Australia's most vulnerable. The soft plastics you've been taking back to the supermarket to recycle have been secretly dumped in landfill. That's the revelation in The Australian today. Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek wants the consumer watchdog and corporate regulator to investigate Red Cycle, one of the country's biggest recyclers. It's dumped more than 260 tonnes worth of plastic waste into landfill. And as recently as this month, we're still telling customers the plastics were being stockpiled. Daniel Andrews is on track to become Victoria's longest-serving Premier after a decisive win in the weekend's election. The leader of the Labor Party, the member for Mulgrave, and the Yes. Thank you all very much. His Labor Party will govern in their own right after an unimpressive performance by the Liberal Party. Their leader, Matthew Guy, has quit. And there are even suggestions from the Nationals they might break up the coalition altogether and go it alone. There have been some truly tremendous swings to our side of politics in Melbourne's north and west. And that alone, I just say, is a message that in this term of government, I hope that the Labor Party, who will form the government, will heed that message. In just a moment, our veteran Victorian analyst, John Ferguson, on what went wrong for the Libs and so very right for Labor. We all remember the forgetful fish from Disney's classic animated movie. I'm so sorry. See, I I suffer from short-term memory loss. Short-term memory loss. I don't believe this. No, it's true. I forget things almost instantly. It runs in my family. Well... I mean, at least I think it does. In Victoria, our associate editor, John Ferguson, is calling the weekend's Victorian election the Nemo election. John joins me now. John, what has Daniel Andrews got to do with cartoons' most forgetful fish? Well, it's probably got most to do with the Liberal Party, of course, because basically they seem to keep making the same mistakes. The other part about the Nemo, leading to Nemo, I talk about goldfish basically in the swimming around the bowl where... They swim around, they forget things, but also they're stuck in the goldfish bowl with a group of, I suppose, like minds who basically think the same things but actually don't open themselves up to broader ideas. And is the thing that they failed to acknowledge that Victorians don't hate Daniel Andrews as much as they hoped they did? Correct. It's, it's all about that. I think the Liberal Party is just totally understated not the popularity of Andrews. He's not overtly popular. I think he's minus two on our net satisfaction rating in the latest news poll, which is not bad. It's better than what Albanese and Morrison had in the last federal election. So he's not wildly unpopular in that by that measure, but he's not 
you know, you go, only have to go out in the street and you'll run into people who don't like him. He's, he's a fairly divisive sort of a leader. The Liberals gave Matthew Guy a second chance at leading after he led them to defeat in the last state election, John. Was that a mistake? I don't like dancing on the graves of political leaders, but I've just got my tap shoes out and I'm going to do a bit of dancing <laughs> because really it was a disaster. I mean, it was a total disaster. And what happened was that in the midst of the pandemic, the disgruntled Go Harder faction decided we've got to get rid of the then leader, Michael O'Brien, because he's not attacking Andrews enough. People didn't like it down here. I think they saw Andrews as being the bloke that was basically uh, going to protect him. Now, that's a very massive generalisation, but people didn't warm to the attacks on an Andrews in Victoria and basically the Libs then decided, well, we actually want to go after Andrews and it, was, it became very confusing and I don't think voters really embraced it. We've learned a fair bit about Australian parochialism, I think, during the pandemic. What does this election result tell us, especially given that the last state election we had in South Australia, we saw the incumbent government swept away? And the analysis post that was that incumbency had gone from being a blessing during the pandemic to a curse afterwards. How do we interpret things now? Yeah, look, it's really interesting. South Australia, the timing thing was kind of interesting over there because they hadn't had much COVID at all. And then just before the election, it went whammo and went right through the community. Whereas we're obviously post that, we're quite a way past that dynamic here. I think Matthew Guy was really unpopular. He was minus 25 on the net satisfaction rating. That's really, really bad. And the people that I've been speaking to in the Liberal Party who know what the numbers were, they're saying, well, look, he was a very hard sell in the way that Scott Morrison was a really hard sell in the federal election down here. And the other thing that I think is interesting about Andrews, he wants the job. Look, I, I couldn't believe it. He just wants to be Premier. And I think people were, have worked that out, that here's a bloke, yeah, he's imperfect, yes, he's divisive, but he desperately wants the job. And I think people have worked that out. The Greens had a respectable showing and their leader, Samantha Ratnam, is saying they might hold the balance of power now in the upper house. How do you interpret the Greens' result, John? Well, we're just going through the numbers now. The Greens have picked up a fourth seat in the lower house, which is one extra seat. They may go OK in the upper house. There's no doubt that over time the Greens will get stronger and stronger. I think they had a good election and they've become more professional they're not as skittish and as mad as they used to be. They're more open uh, about their policies. They're obviously doing more polling. They're more comfortable as a political organisation. So I think rather than the big bang, they are progressively getting better. And just finally, it definitely wasn't a teal slide. Of course, counting is still going on in several seats, so things may change, but it doesn't seem as though they've had a great election. What went wrong for the teals? Well, it's potentially a disastrous election for the Teals, which I think is quite fascinating. They, look, they've got about three seats that are pretty tight, to be honest, Claire. So, but on what I'm looking at now, they won't pick up a seat, potentially won't pick up a seat. Now, that is really bad for them. They were thinking they would win three, maybe four seats potentially. And it is incredible that they are struggling to win Hawthorne, which is the inner city greenest part of the federal seat of Kuyong. We could talk about the Teals forever because they've talked up the biggest game of all. 
well, the Teals were going to do this and the Teals were going to do that, and they're not. doesn't look like they're doing it. Election funding in state elections in Victoria is really restrictive by comparison to federal. So Monique Ryan in Keong pumped in $2.1 million into her campaign, massive amount of money, probably less than Josh Frydenberg, but 2.1 is huge. It would have been in the hundreds of thousands, low, absolute low hundreds of thousands for the Teals in, in Hawthorne in the state election. So that, that'll be influencing things as well. John Ferguson is an associate editor with The Australian. Coming up, the diagnosis too tough even for Thor and whether we should all be getting tested for genetic risks. Access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week, we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth and I thought he was dead. Another one had been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for CrimeX Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime. Hollywood star Chris Hemsworth revealed earlier this week that he'll take a break from acting after finding out he's at an increased risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. The idea that I won't be able to remember the life I've experienced or my wife, my kids, this is probably my biggest fear. The diagnosis was the result of medical testing Hemsworth underwent as part of a new docuseries, but experts are warning that this kind of genetic screening does more harm than good. Joanna Panagopoulos is a reporter with the Oz.com.au and she joins me now. Joe, you've spoken to a handful of experts for this story. What kind of testing are we talking about here and what did they have to say about it? So the testing he had was for Alzheimer's and the test seemed to show that he had two copies of a gene that's called APOE4, which was from both his mother and his father, which is pretty rare and it's associated with an increased risk of developing Alzheimer's. And his grandfather currently has it, so he seemed to be triggered by this, as he says in an interview, and wanted to spend some more time with his kids. But the experts that I spoke to, they seem to say that they work in the field of population genetics, and these are really people that are trying to get the government to pay for certain genetic tests that could be offered to anyone who wanted them. And they have said, you know, undergoing genetic testing for this APOE4 and dementia risk is not really something you should do when you're young and healthy as Chris Hemsworth is. So people who are young and healthy, like Chris Hemsworth, shouldn't necessarily be rushing out to undergo this type of testing for Alzheimer's specifically. Why is that? Experts seem to say that although there are some kind of lifestyle modifications you can make, you can optimise your sleep and physical exercise and connect with your family and things like that, there's no actual medical interventions yet that are offered or any prevention actions that you can take to reduce your risk. So it might just cause more kind of psychological stress than anything else. It's what they call not medically actionable. Genetic testing 
is vitally important mm. for a number of health conditions and diseases. So what are they and why is it important to be screened for those conditions? So there are a group of population geneticists, particularly with a pilot study called DNA Screen, which is funded by the federal government. And they're pushing for a few tests, which they see as so vital to saving people's lives and to being able to reduce the risk of certain diseases that they want them to be offered to everyone for free. And those are hereditary breast and ovarian cancer, Lynch syndrome, which is associated with a risk of bowel and endometrial cancer, and then genetic high cholesterol. So they are offered by the public health care system at the moment, but it's pretty restrictive, the criteria, which means that you have to have certain health issues already or you have to have a family history of disease and therefore a lot of people who need those tests, which could save their lives potentially, don't end up getting them. And one of the possible implications here when we apply this testing to Alzheimer's specifically is that private health insurers don't cover pre-existing conditions of which this increased risk could be considered one. Chris Hemsworth can presumably afford to (laughs) make that gamble, but many regular Australians can't. So what could this mean for the future of healthcare if this goes mainstream? So a lawyer and genetic counsellor that I spoke to who's really pushing for the laws to be changed around life insurance was saying that it's legal for life insurance companies to discriminate based on genetic test results. And they it doesn't matter if you've had a genetic test at home like 23andMe or one that you've done with a specialist or if you've just taken part in a research study. If you go and apply for your life insurance, they will ask or they can ask and many do if you've had genetic testing and then they can deny you a policy based on your risk. They can double your premium or the conditions on your policy So they're changing the level of cover based on your risk to a genetic test. And you might not even know what the genetic test means or you might not even be able to action it, but they can still kind of determine what your risk is. There has been some movement on this. And in 2019, there was a moratorium on this, but it was only partial for policies up to $500,000 or $4,000 a month for income protection. So the people fighting for this really just want to get rid of that completely so that people can get tested and potentially get life-saving tests without having to worry about their life insurance. Joanna Panagopoulos was speaking to the front's Kristen Amiot. Thanks for joining us. For more on that seismic Victorian election, including the latest seat results and what it all means for federal politics and the rest of the nation, go to theaustralian.com.au. I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthy-ish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component of that. I I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthy-ish and Extra Healthy-ish wherever you get your podcasts.